Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. We've been discussing CIC issue number 67, John the Baptist and Prophets to Nations. We left off last week talking about the Elijah to come, and we discussed how those are the two witnesses that we find in Revelation. We want to talk a little bit more about that, and then we will discuss our current time, which we would call the church age. So the prophets in, in Revelation, the future Elijah role, what are they prophesying? What, what exactly is their role? Well, it says in Revelation 11.3, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. We talked about that. Now, their role is to announce coming wrath and actually announce judgments that come on the earth. All right, and that's not unusual. Elijah did that. Right. Okay, so they're really fulfilling a role of Elijah that's different than the one that John the Baptist fulfilled. And here we have people that will be rebuking what's going on on the earth and all the wickedness during the tribulation. And one of the themes about future prophecy is a coming day of wrath. And it's one that I think doesn't get enough attention. Okay. A lot of the new theologies that are coming out delete that whole idea. And I've been reading a couple of them lately. One of them you recommended was a more current book. And then now I'm reading N.T. Wright. Okay. Both these guys are British theologians. Well, they have this rosy future of everything being recreated into this new glorious paradise for the whole world. And they don't seem to see anything about some wrath being poured out on the earth because of wickedness. Right. They often That's call it gone. something like an eschatology of hope or something like that. That would be Moltman. I wrote a book on the emergent church, and they delete coming wrath as well. Yeah. Well, and so do a lot of today's post-millennials. Yeah, they don't want to know anything about God being a God who brings wrath and judgment. But that was predicted. And as we said last week, the disciples thought that if Jesus is the Messiah, then he's certainly going to do that. Defeat the enemies of Israel. And there are several times they were, they came up with the idea, well, should we call down fire? Where's the wrath? Right. But as we were saying last week, that's yet future. It isn't that it won't happen. It isn't that God will not judge wicked nations that will oppress Israel at the, at the end of the age uh, during the tribulation period. But that's not the role now. Okay, okay, that's what we want to point out. But let me cite Jeremiah, who rebuked nations, and including Israel, and prophesied about wrath. Jeremiah 46.10. Okay. 
a day of vengeance so that so as to avenge himself on his foes and the sword will devour be satiated and drink its fill of their blood for there will be a slaughter for the Lord God of hosts in the land of the north by the river Euphrates. So this is a prophecy, Jeremiah 46.10, about a future uh, wrath or day of the Lord. No such day of wrath occurred during the first advent. Right. Which, which scandalized uh, Israel because if Jesus was Messiah, Where's the day of wrath? Okay. If he's the so, messenger of the Lord, if he's the Messiah. David defeated God's enemies and he reigned on a throne. Yes. And that's what they're looking for. Okay. So we are saying that's yet future. It didn't happen in the first advent. And it doesn't happen during the church age, but it will happen at the end of the age after the rapture of the church. Okay. Did this happen in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem? That's a different fulfillment of prophecy. Okay. Okay. That was not God's wrath on the nations. That was God judging according to the prediction of Jesus that not one stone will be left on another. Yeah. And in his lament over Jerusalem, Jesus lamented about Jerusalem who stones the prophets and rejects those who are sent to her. Yeah. And he sees this day coming. Yep. And it came in 70 AD. But that was predicted by Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king. And so we had an authoritative prophet announcing that. Right. And so that fulfilled that prophecy, but it did not fulfill all prophecy. That wasn't the great and terrible day of the Lord. No, because it was just local in, in Jerusalem. Okay. And we see that uh, probably in the book of Hebrews, I think Hebrews written before 70 AD, he talks about that which is obsolete and ready to disappear. Right, yes. They were still sacrificing the blood of, of animals. And Hebrews warns about not going back to that. It was still there, but it was soon to disappear. Now, some people take 70 AD as the fulfillment of every single future prophecy other than the eternal order of affairs, the coming of Christ and the setting up the eternal order. Yeah. But that is totally reductionistic. They are deleting an awful lot of material including the prophecy about the coming of Elijah at the very end. Right. So, uh, as we were pointing out here, 70 AD can't be it. We cited Jeremiah 46.10, and the day of vengeance, and avenge himself on his foes. Well, he didn't avenge himself on Rome. No. And Rome was certainly the foe of Israel. Yeah. And so that was, as we said here, a prediction of, that Jesus made of the destruction of the temple and the temple system. And really, the, as far as Israel being dispersed, that happened even more profoundly in 135 AD. So that's not the day, great and terrible day of the Lord that's going to avenge Israel uh, against all the foes. Okay. Because 
Israel was judged at that point, not all the nations. Right. So we're saying Revelation predicts when that will happen in regard to that last seven-year period. And we're saying that Jesus predicted that there'll be a coming of Elijah associated with that time. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And so then we were talking about Acts 1, 6 through 8, where they asked, now are you going to restore the kingdom? Which would mean defeat Rome and set up Israel as an autonomous, self-ruling nation with Jesus sitting on a throne as the son of David. And he said, no, it's not for you to know the times are epochs fixed by the Father's authority, but you should be my witnesses after the Spirit comes upon you. So we know very clearly from many scriptures that Jesus then ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God and he rules and he does so even in the midst of enemies. There's, there's all kinds of enemies still out there. They're not defeated. Right. So you, can, so you can read Psalm 110 and see why it's cited so often in the New Testament. That proves that Jesus really is the Messiah, even though the critics say he couldn't have been. He didn't defeat the foes of Israel. But Psalm 110 was proof that he is because he, re, he sits on high, seated at the right hand of the majesty, that is God in his glory, in heaven. And he's still okay. ruling. He's the head of the church. So now we have the church age. The church age is that period of unknown length that goes from the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out and people are converted and filled with the Spirit, the inauguration of the new covenant as cited by Peter from Jeremiah 31. And it goes on until the rapture of the church. Now, some people will say there's no such thing as a rapture of the church, but that's simply a word, a translated word in Thessalonians about being caught up. When Jesus comes before the church. And you can read about that in the book of Matthew, Matthew 24, starting with verse 36, and you go to the end of verse of Matthew 24, and then the first part of Matthew 25. And people are, some are taken, some are left. Right, yeah. Suddenly and unexpectedly. So we have no idea when that's going to happen, right? So in the meantime, history goes on. We are in the church age. The church age may end later today when the rapture, if the rapture were to happen, or may not end for another thousand years. We don't know. Right. We don't know. We don't know. It's not for us to know. Jesus told us that. There's a time that's fixed by the Father's authority, but we don't know when it is. So there's no use people running around prophesying about when it's going to happen because nobody knows. Yeah. But what we do know is that during that entire time, it's our role to preach the gospel. You will be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. All right, now, I wrote an article, I don't remember the issue number, called The Prophetic Role 
of every believer. And issue 95. All right, good for you. Issue 95. Now, what I did, because sometimes it seems that our debate is with um, uh, creedalists from Lutheran and uh, Reformed background, because they don't have much to say about details of future Bible prophecy. Well, I'm agreeing with them, and I actually cite both Luther and Calvin on this matter. Okay. Okay, and at the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church was saying that the Pope, when he is seated in the seat of Peter, acting as an apostle, or the teaching magisterium in certain cases when they issue decrees, the hierarchy of Rome is speaking for God and has the right to prophesy. And they have their own priesthood who are bound by the decrees of Rome, and they claim they can speak for God, but everybody else has to be silenced. And in that system, the individual believer had no place to rebuke a priest or a bishop or an archbishop or whatever else they have out there in their perverted hierarchy that was never ordained by God. In fact, according to Luther, if an ordinary Christian has the gospel right, he can rebuke the Pope and tell him to be silent in the church. Yes, and Luther did. (laughs) Yeah, and Luther, Luther did that. That's why they wanted him gone. Yeah. And so what Luther taught as one of the key things that's true for the church is the priesthood of every believer. Yes, and that is so important, and it's really missing from a lot of churches today. It's it's very well. uh, Sadly, it's disappeared out of creedal reformed uh, reformed creedalism. Is a better way to say it. I mean, I just read a whole book that I'm hoping to write about. They they don't even know anything about the priest of every believer. What they know about is kicking people out of the church if they don't take an oath to obey a certain creed or if they decide to disagree with it. Right. All right. But I cite Calvin, who also taught that individual believers could prophesy, meaning to speak correctly about the implications and applications of Scripture. Right. And so the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer was the safety that church members had against abusive leadership in the church. Yes. And both Luther and Calvin affirmed that. Now, future uh, people who wrote the creeds and councils and so, or held the councils and made the creeds and catechisms and standards that bind everybody, conveniently forgot about the priesthood of every believer and are ready and willing to silence just about anybody would have anything to say they would disagree with anything in any of their creeds and councils. Now, are they claiming that the people that wrote them are prophets and apostles of the status of those mentioned in Ephesians 4 as the foundation of the church? Well, no, they can't say that because they believe in Scripture alone. Right. And their Scripture is different 
than all other religious writings. Scripture is different from prophesying in the church. And I define in that issue 95, the prophecy is speaking forth valid or invalid, they have to be judged, but implications and applications of scripture. And that's important. I want to make sure people understand that. When we're talking about prophecy in the church age, we're not talking about receiving new revelations. No. All right. So let's give a clear definition of prophecy in the church age. The prophecy is scripture alone is the authoritative, inerrant, binding word of God. Okay. Scripture alone defines the faith once for all handed down to the saints. Right. Prophecy of the type that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 14, where he says you may all prophesy one by one, two or three, let the others judge, is bringing out the implications and applications of Scripture. Okay? okay, our pastor just this last Sunday showed how that worked with something like, you shall not steal. Okay. And he pointed out that the binding word of God is you shall not steal. Now, prophecy would say, well, you just took something that wasn't yours and claimed it as your own. That's stealing, and we can call it that and tell people they're guilty for doing it and they need to repent. Right. Okay, so that's prophesying. Okay. And that role still exists. Now, in, in my articles, I explain different roles. Prophesying isn't somebody standing up and calling down God's wrath on a nation. Okay. That's not what Paul was talking about, 1 Corinthians 14. Okay. All right. Prophesying isn't predicting the future beyond Scripture. Because how are you going to judge? Right. Let's say, let's just say, because some people have done this, and I rebuke mm -hmm. them when they do it. Let's say, the Lord says that during the next year, there's going to be catastrophic economic events that are going to destroy the economy of the United States of America. Let's say somebody said that. Okay. They yeah. have recently, by the way. Right. And they were wrong. But then it says, let the others judge. Now, the way I've heard it in the past, and this was wrong, but I, I've heard this. So they say, yeah, those says the Lord, and they make your pronouncement about the future. Well, how do you judge that? Well, they say the only one that can judge it is other prophets. So they have conventions of people calling themselves prophets. And this prophet yeah. says, this is going to happen. The other one says, no, I think God is telling me that something else is going to happen. And so then you have the different prophets trying to figure out which one has it right. Okay. But then in their perverted scheme of things, whoever's wrong, is that's okay. It's just part of how it goes. Because it has to be judged, therefore it could be wrong. So, let's just go back to that uh, scene. And I've talked about this a number of times and written about it. Mm -hmm. So somebody tells you, if you have a IRA, sell all the stocks and buy gold, 
because the stock market's going to crash within the next six months or whatever. Okay. He prophesied. So, but he, he might be wrong. So the other prophet says, no, I think he's wrong. So now the church member asks, well, do I sell my stocks or not? Or how do I do this? Do I diversify? What's going to happen? Maybe I can get rich and buy gold now. And when, and when the gold goes way, way up and the stock's way, way down, I'll sell the gold and buy stocks. And they get rich on both ends. And I'll be really rich. I'll just follow the prophet. Imagine how rich I'm going to be. But the prophet's wrong. You lose all your money. Now what do you do? Well, I guess I listened to the wrong prophet. No. Let's just back up. And I have this in my article here, issue 67. You don't get to be wrong. Right. Okay. The prophets, a biblical prophet is 100% accurate. Right. And if they were wrong, they're done. Don't listen to them. Yeah. God didn't send them other than to bring judgment on you. So you hear what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. So Micaiah and the false prophets. Yeah. The false prophets had lying spirits in their mouth because God's was judging Ahab. Right. Okay. So don't listen to them. Okay. But see, Listeners, people have been doing this for so long, and they're wrong. So they're, that's not prophecy in the church. Prophecy in the church is bringing out valid or, in some cases, invalid implications, applications of Scripture. How do we judge it? Because we have the Scripture, which is the faith, once for all handed down to the church. And the others can judge that. All because right, it's objective, right. and it's not going to change. And it cannot be wrong, because God can't lie. In Scripture, is God speaking. So, and these things have happened, and I've seen them happen, where they have a bad doctrine of Christ. I've done that with somebody who claims to be a prophet. Because in his doctrine of Christ, this one guy that I wrote about, claimed that when Jesus died on the cross, he lost his divinity and went as a mere man and had to fight with the devil in hell before he could come back and be raised. So Jesus, no longer divine, is wrestling with the devil. Now, that's actually a lot of people believe that. It's Hagen, yeah. Kenneth Hagen, and people like that. It comes back from a false teacher by the name of E.W. Kenyon. That's the source of that teaching. Okay. E.W. Kenyon taught that in a book called What Happened. But here's what I did to judge a guy who claims to be an apostle and a prophet who taught that. I can't judge that because that's a biblical claim. Right. Here's the problem with that claim. Deity of the sort that Jesus has, God the Son, is non-contingent. Yes. Okay, by definition, God is uniquely eternal and non-contingent. How so? Well, a contingency means to be dependent on something outside of yourself. Okay. Every created 
thing and being is contingent. Right. The angels are contingent. Humans are contingent. The universe itself is contingent. And it depends on God, the non-contingent creator and sustainer of the universe, in order to continue to exist. Mm -hmm. We know from the second law of thermodynamics that the universe is not eternal because it would have died of heat death. Right. Okay. So spirit beings, material beings, all contingent. So what the false prophet did was make Jesus Christ, his deity, contingent. Yeah. So deity that exists and then doesn't exist, and then exists again, it's is not deity. It <laughs> can't be. It doesn't come at Because that's a contingent deity, and that's a contradiction of terms. Yeah. So I judge prophecy, as is my duty, according to 1 Corinthians 14, and deemed that to be false prophecy. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 14 Verse 32, it says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Doesn't mean they're subject to other people who call themselves prophets. No, that means you have the ability to keep your mouth shut when it's appropriate. Okay. Do everything decently in order. Yeah, there, yeah. there were some hyper-spiritual people in Corinth that Paul dealt with, and they'd say, oh, the spirit came on me. I had to take over the meeting. Oh, that's why he says, do it decently in order. Speak one or two that the others judge. Right. Then that's what this whole thing is. are saying, oh, no, the spirit. I just, whoa, I have to do this. I have to take action. The spirit moved me. Yeah. No, you can sit it down and listen to the other people. Yep. Let me read, let not, me read that whole section. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll get the context, guys. You can we'll tell I've been to a lot of meetings in my life. Yeah. All right. First Corinthians 14, uh, 31 through 33. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Right. So... I gave you an example of judging prophecy. Mm -hmm. And so I would judge every teacher who claims that Jesus lost his divinity to be false prophets. Right. Because they're, it's a de, facto, a, God. Yeah, a de facto denial of the deity of Christ. Yep. It's a little different, but it's the same here, Mormonism. Yeah. They, they have a non- uh, humans become gods, but you can never yeah. be. There are Elohim, not talking about the true God. Yeah. In the in the Bible. Yeah. But they're contingent beings. The true God is non-contingent, and yeah. we need to know that. You you say, well, maybe that's an awful lot of theology. Well, it's very necessary because your salvation depends on it. If you're trusting in a false Christ. You're not trusting in the Christ who truly saves. So then, if they're preaching a false Christ, this, this Deuteronomy 18, 
where it talks about if they're speaking in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Yeah, don't listen to them. Yeah, there's two tests. And they're still valid in the new covenant because people are still trying to get away, trying to claim to have that prophetic status. So they need to be subject to the rules. Okay. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. Okay. One has to do with the one that says the th a prophecy and a, a sign, and the sign comes to pass, but it says to go after other gods whom right. you have not known. Don't listen to them. Yeah, the sign yeah. doesn't prove anything if they have a false god. And that, by the way, that applies to the signs and wonders movement. Because right. when I wrote about that, it was somebody in that signs and wonders movement who taught that Jesus lost his divinity. But he claims he's a true prophet because he does signs and wonders. Nope. nope. You're wrong. Trap door open. <laughs> Drop him out of the church. Don't listen to a word he says. Well, the guy okay. sells thousands of, thousands of books. But he's a false prophet. So he failed that test. Now you want to say, well, that's just the old covenant. So do you suppose it's okay under the new covenant to teach people to follow false deities? No. no. Is it okay to teach a false Christ? Well, the new covenant warns against that. So the rules are the same. Yeah. Secondly, if they predict something and it doesn't come to pass, then they're a false prophet. Yep. Don't fear them. And in that same chapter, uh, Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like him, Moses, when he does listen to him. The New Testament claims that's Jesus. Yes. So Jesus said, Moses wrote of me. And Jesus is that prophet coming into the world. So we need to listen to him and then his apostles and prophets, that is the biblical ones. We're built on the foundation, Christ the cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets, that is the biblical ones, not the modern day ones. Right. Prophecy still exists, but it's of the kind of 1 Corinthians 14. And that is of bringing forth valid, or in some cases, if they're invalid, they have to be judged, implications and applications of Scripture. Valid implications and applications are binding on the church. Right. Okay. So, so that article I wrote, the prophetic calling of every believer, and then another article on the priesthood of every believer, all grounded in the scripture, gives every believer the right to judge prophecy. Yeah. And I'm also saying now in this particular article that we've been going through, that there are right now no prophets to nations. Yes. And That's our main claim. And right now they're everywhere in, in this, you know, rather unusual time that we're living in. But they're, all of them are false. Right. 100% of them are false prophets because there are no prophets to nations. Exactly. Between John the Baptist and the two witnesses in Revelation, which mm -hmm. don't come on the scene until after the rapture, there are none. Now, some people would say, oh, wait, you got it wrong. You missed Agabus. 
we're going to have to come back to Agabus next All week. Right. That's too, that's too long of a conversation. Well, you know, we have fun and time just flies by. Yep. So let, but so let's hang on to, to Agabus because if I were a false prophet today, I would say, but what about Agabus? Can't I be like him? So stay come tuned. Back. Come yes, back we, next week to hear about Agabus. I will put Agabus without diminishing in one bit the wonderful role Agabus had in the book of Acts. I will show you what he did and why it didn't make him a prophet to a nation as some would want to be, okay? All right. That's next week. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. We want to remind you that you can access this episode and many others at the CIC website, which is cicministry.org. And we want to remind you too, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus. And Bob DeWay. And we'll see you next week. God bless you.